I am super excited this morning um, to introduce our speaker for the day. Um, this is, without a doubt, um, the the best, uh, highest example of what a true woman of God looks like. Um, now she is my mother, so I'm a little biased. On the flip side, that gave me um, such intimacy into the day-to-day life that she lives. And I will tell you right now, um, what you see is what you get. And what you see is a faithful a faithful woman to God, somebody who is completely all in on the mission of Jesus Christ, somebody who loves people um, so desperately and so beautifully. So I know she's got an awesome word of God for us. So if you would welcome our founding first lady, Crystal Thacker. He makes me cry, makes me nervous. <laughs> but, but he did say it right, what you get, what you see is what you get. I'm sorry, I'm not good at putting on ears. <laughs> good, bad, and ugly, all of it you get. <laughs> oh, so... He already covered Thanksgiving. Everybody had a good Thanksgiving, and now we're headed to Christmas. Everybody pumped up for Christmas? (laughs) Yeah, me too. In fact, when Dustin had asked me a few weeks ago to speak this day, like after Thanksgiving, I knew exactly what I wanted to speak on. I was going to speak on gifts. Ah, I mean Christmas. Gifts, get it? (laughs) So I started studying. I had me a good page and a half of notes. And one morning I got up and I was praying. I'm like, okay, God, is this me or is this you? (laughs) Do I just want to talk on gifts or is this really something you want to say? And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I will tell you, God said, "Uh uh-uh, we're taking a detour. In fact, it was so real to me in my prayer journal. I put, I hear God say. That doesn't happen a lot. But I, I heard, I heard, and so we're going to take a detour. You guys okay with that? Okay, well, let's just all pray together, and then we're going to jump right into the thought that I feel like God has given me for the day. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning as humbly as we know how, knowing that we are nothing without you. But with you, we can do all things. And so I'm asking today that you would get me past my insecurities and all that stuff that's going on in my head and that you instead use these weaknesses that I am so aware that I have and turn them around and use them as your strength. So I'm asking for everybody that's sitting here today, everybody that is watching on YouTube or Facebook, that they would just put aside everything else, all that stuff in their head, all that noise, that they would put it aside to hear what you have to say to us today. We'll give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving looked a little different this year, as I'm sure it did for a lot of you. Um, But we were blessed to have Dustin and Jenna and the babies over. And um, we're sitting at the table, and Dustin asked me a question. Mom, what's your favorite book in the Bible? Well, it took me back because... I have so many favorite books of the Bible. I mean, there's 66, and there's some really good ones, you know. So I said, well, can I just answer for the Old Testament? Because I have a favorite Old Testament book, and it's Genesis. 
I just love the book of Genesis, the beginning, because there are so many stories. And if you know me, you know I love my stories. And I love it because you're reading about just plain old ordinary people that, yeah, they lived a few thousand years ago. But if you read their story, they're still so relatable to us today. And so the story we're going to talk about today is from my favorite Old Testament book, Genesis. And it's going to be a little different. And in fact, when I was preparing, I'm like, hey, this is a little weird, but I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. So if you can just bear with me a few minutes, I promise we're going somewhere. It starts in Genesis chapter 37. And it starts this way. So Jacob settled in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. Verse 2 starts. This is the account of Jacob and his family. And right away it starts talking about one of his kids. Now, the odd thing about this is he had 12 sons, but his story here starts with one kid who was his favorite. Can you imagine you parents that have multiple kids having a favorite and then making sure everybody on the planet knows he's your favorite? (laughs) And you know what his brothers thought about it? They hated him, right? Now, it wasn't his fault that he was dad's favorite. It just happened to be where he was born in the lineup. The Bible says he was dad's favorite because he had been born to dad when dad was an old man. What a reason, right? But he loved this kid so much more than he loved his other 11 sons that the Bible said he made him a special gift. He made him this coat. The Bible says it was an extravagant, fancy, in-your-face, or as some traditions say it was a coat of many colors, like you couldn't miss the coat, announcing this is dad's favorite. The other thing they couldn't stand about their brother was that he liked to dream. He liked to dream and then share his dreams with them. One night he had this dream. He woke up so excited to tell him, hey, guys, guess what? I had this dream All of us kids are out, and we're working in the field. We're collecting grain, and we're making these big stalks. And you know what happens? My stalk stands up, and you all come around me and start bowing to me. You can imagine how that went over. The Bible tells us how that went over. They hated him even more. But it didn't stop him from dreaming. He had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow before him. Well, still in chapter 37, we read that his dad's flock needs to go get some food. See, they're in the middle of the desert. And in those days, when you had a large flock, sometimes you had to travel for days to find grass, to find fresh water for all these flocks. And that's what happened. The brothers took off with dad's flocks, and they were gone for a long time until dad started getting worried and decided he better send Joseph, who the Bible tells us was about 17 years old, He sent him to go check on his brothers. Just make sure everything's okay. So he does. It takes him a while, but he finally sees them in the distance. And guess what? They see him too because he's got his fancy coat on. They decide, okay, we've had enough of this brat. We're going to kill him. That's what the Bible says. They decide to kill their little brother. Not because of something he did wrong. Because he was dad's favorite. 
So the older brother, Reuben, says, okay, guys, hold on just a second. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this empty pit. There he can die on his own, and we won't have blood on our hands. So they do. They throw him in the pit, and they decide to have some lunch. And while they're sitting there, they see this huge caravan of camels coming from a distance. It's some foreigners, some Ishmaelites taking some goods to sell in Egypt. They're crossing the wilderness on their way to Egypt, and the guys see an opportunity. The brothers are like, you know what? Why don't we sell Joseph? Make a few bucks on the side. So they do. Now we're switching over to chapter 39. The Bible tells us now Joseph had been sold to these Ishmaelites and now is in Egypt, a foreign land. I mean, like customs like he had never seen. They dressed like he had never seen. They talked in a language he didn't know. And you know what was happening? He was being sold as a slave. A slave. He had done nothing wrong. And here he was in a situation he really didn't deserve, being sold as a slave. We begin reading chapter 39, and we see who buys him. The guy that buys him is a guy named Potiphar. He works for the king of Egypt. He was over the guard there at the palace. He buys Joseph because he needs somebody to work. I mean, why else buy a slave, right? So he gets Joseph, takes him to his estate, and right away, he notices something different about Joseph. He notices that the Lord is with Joseph, and he knows that because Joseph is working, and everything he does is prospering. I don't know if you noticed that, but Joseph is someplace he really don't deserve to be and probably don't want to be but he's still working. And because he's not sitting in the corner having a pity party, God's using him. God's blessing him. So as we read on through chapter 39, we see something else about him. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible, have you ever noticed that the Bible doesn't always give us the physical description of the characters we're reading about? I don't know, is it just me or have you noticed that? But every once in a while, the Bible will say something like it does here with Joseph. It says he was young. Okay, we know he's young. But it says he was really good looking. And he was built really good. Now, why would the Bible tell us that? Except to let us know, with those kind of looks, comes some temptation. And sure enough, it happens. It happens to Joseph. He's working Things are being blessed under his control. Potiphar has exalted him till he's running the whole estate. But now there's a temptation. And it's from Potiphar, his boss, his slave master's wife. She has a little more than just a crush on this guy. And the Bible tells us she's after him. And she's after him hard. And he keeps saying, no, no. He tries to avoid her, but finally one day. She gets a hold of him, trying to entice him into her bedroom. And he takes off running, just as he should, but leaves his coat in her hand in his haste to get away from danger. Well, 
I think you've heard the saying about a vengeful woman, you know, how you don't want to go there. Well, she was, she was upset. So what she decided to do was start spreading some false allegations. She started telling everybody in the house, he tried to rape me. This guy is after me. So Pharaoh gets home from work and she tells him the same thing. She says, you know, this guy that you brought into our home, this is what he's trying to do to me. And you know what happens? Now Joseph finds himself thrown in prison over a false allegation. It was a lie. He had done nothing wrong. And now he's in prison. Right away again in this chapter, you start seeing that even though he's in prison, again, a place he didn't deserve, and he sure don't want to be, but he's still working. He's just being Joseph. And again, the Lord was with him. The Bible says it twice about the prison. The Lord was with him. And he caught the eye of the warden. And the warden promoted him to be over all of the prisoners. He was organizing things, planning things, running things. And the warden just let him because everything he did was prospering. It was good. Towards the end of that chapter, we see things begin to change a little. And we see he meets two new prisoners that are thrown into his prison. They're from the palace. They had made the king, the Pharaoh, upset. So he throws these two guys in prison. While they're in there, they each have a dream. And it really shakes them up. They don't know what these dreams mean. And ends up, Joseph sits down with them and says, guys, tell me your dream. Sure enough, he has the interpretation from God. He explains their dreams. And exactly the way he interpreted it is exactly the way it happened. One guy gets put to death. But the other guy gets restored to his position at the palace. He is going to head back to the palace as Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. Right before he goes, Joseph says, can I talk to you just a minute? I want to tell you my story. So he tells him, I was sold into slavery, not my fault. I tried to do everything right. I'm in prison, not my fault. Can you just tell my story to Pharaoh? Can you just let him know? You know, we've been talking for about maybe 10 minutes about this story. But for Joseph, all of this stuff had been taken 10 years. 10 years, nothing had been going right for him. Think about it. What were you doing 10 years ago? What has happened in your life for the last 10 years? Can you imagine ending up every time in a situation you didn't deserve? You really didn't want to be? I had to ask myself at this point, would I be curled up in the corner having a pity party or would I be willing? Would I be willing to continue working and just doing what I could do? Well, Joseph, that's what he did. Well, in chapter 40, He's just done this with the other prisoners, just explained their dreams. But you know what the very last verse of chapter 40 says? It says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph never giving him another thought. Can you believe it? He's so close. But we turn to chapter 41. 41, things start to change. In chapter 41, now it, it starts a little, eh. in fact, the first few words are this. Two full 
years later. Two more years. I mean, do some basic math. Ten plus two. Now we're talking a dozen years. But God's not done with the story. See, what happens is Pharaoh now has a couple dreams really mess him up. I mean, like, they're scary dreams. He don't get what they're about. So he calls throughout all the land of Egypt, somebody tell me my dreams. What's this about? And finally, finally, that chief cupbearer, that guy that had forgotten Joseph, remembers Joseph. Now we find Joseph. He's standing in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he is telling Joseph his dreams. I love the humility of Joseph. Up front, he says, hey, I want you to know it's not my ability to interpret your dreams. But my God, yeah, my God can do it and he can set you at ease. So he goes ahead through the inspiration of God and he is able to reveal what these dreams mean and they are bad dreams. He is letting Pharaoh know, God is warning you, Egypt is headed towards famine. He takes it even a step further and he starts giving Pharaoh some advice. He says, listen, we know this has happened as God gave you two dreams. That means it's going to happen. But let me give you some advice. You need to find a very wise man. You need to find a wise man that can start making a plan because we can do this. Find this man that can get this plan together and, and make some teams and, and start preparing because famine is coming. And you know what Pharaoh, the king of Egypt says? I know exactly the man. It's you, Joseph. It's you. He turns to his counselors, his advisors, and he says, guys, I can tell you this. We can look throughout the whole land, but we're not going to find another man that is so full of the spirit of God. That's what my Bible said. Pharaoh said. And so right away we see Pharaoh takes off his ring. He slips it onto the hand of Joseph. He gets him some fancy royal clothes and he puts them around his back. He gets a gold chain. How many knows Egyptians must love their bling, right? So he gets him a fancy, fancy car chariot. He changes his name. He gets him a wife. He gets him all set up because... He decides Joseph is the man. Right away, as he's riding through town, Egypt, in this chariot, we hear that Pharaoh is given a command to the whole land. If you see Joseph, you know what? You're supposed to bow. Remember that dream he had as a kid? It's starting to happen, guys. But I don't even know if Joseph realized it at the time because you know what he was doing? He was being Joseph. He was getting down to business. He was making plans. He was making teams. How are they going to save Egypt from starvation? But you know, guys, you know what was happening? All of those years of preparation, on-job training, all that wisdom he had learned while he was in Pharaoh's house, while he was in prison, see, it hadn't been punishment. It had been preparation. Because, see, God had a plan for Joseph that was so much bigger than he could have imagined. And had he stayed at home 
with daddy. Had he stayed at home in his little comfort zone, guess what? He wouldn't have been prepared. He wouldn't have been ready to accomplish this plan that God had planned for him all along. He would never have met Pharaoh. And who knows if Egypt would have been saved or not. But because Joseph was Joseph and was willing to learn in this times, he didn't want to be, he didn't deserve to be, but he allowed God to take this time to prepare him. And he was ready. Now, I love this story because we start with a 17-year-old boy. We know it's been at least 12 years, and now he's working. And we know that the famine, the first seven years were good. And then when the famine hits, it gets bad. Well, now he's quite a bit older, right? And now things are starting to happen, and God is able to use him, and he's saving Egypt. Times get hard. People are getting hungry. And who do they go to when they need help? Joseph. The amazing thing about this story, though, is this is not done. See, not only is Egypt starving and he's able to save them, but the Bible lets us know that it goes beyond Egypt. Now the famine is spreading and it's affecting dad. It's affecting his brothers. It's affecting his nieces and nephews. And they're all hungry. So dad, back in Canaan, calls the boys together and says, guys, I hear there's a man in Egypt that can help us. Now I hear my grandbabies crying. They're hungry. I need you to go to this man. See if we can get some help. So they pack up. They take the journey. And now we find them standing in front of Joseph and then falling to their knees as they bow before him. Now, it's been 20 years. They have no clue who they're bowing before. See, this the last time they saw Joseph, he was a 17-year-old kid living in the desert with nomads' clothes on. I mean, you know, how, how do you live in the desert? Now, he's a grown man wearing royal clothing. His name has been changed. He has the gold necklace, the rings. He doesn't even speak their language. They have no clue who they're bowing before. All they know is they are at the mercy of this man. They need this man to show compassion so that their families can be saved from starvation. He knows them. Man, this would be a good time to retaliate. In fact, if you read chapters 42 through 44, it's really good reading. I'm not lying. He did mess with them a little bit. But overall, he loved them so much. The Bible tells us he had to remove himself one time from them. He was crying so hard because this was his brothers. And the Bible tells us that he finally gets to reveal to them who he is. He asks about dad. How's dad doing? They go home. They grab dad. They grab all of the other family members. And the Bible says that over 70 of his close relatives moved to Egypt. So now not only is he helping the land of Egypt, he can watch out firsthand for his dad and his brothers and all of his family. It's beautiful. And dad lives for 17 more years in Egypt. 
all those years he had missed with his dad, but God grants him 17 more years with dad, and then dad dies. Now, understand, these guys now, we're talking about 50s, 60s, maybe even 70s, but now with dad gone, they start getting a little concerned. What will Joseph do now? It's a good time to retaliate, don't you think? And they are scared. So they come before Joseph. They start apologizing all over themselves. Man, we're sorry what we did way back in those days. So sorry. In fact, don't hurt us. Just use us as your slaves. Just let us be your slaves. You know what Joseph says? He says, no, guys. Don't be afraid of me. You know what you meant for my harm? God took that and turned it around for good. My question to you, what do you think is being given to you for harm that might possibly be the very thing God is wanting to use for your good? Or maybe for the good of those around you? So, as we end today, I just want to leave you two thoughts. Two thoughts. Number one, Joseph had a dream. Anybody that has a dream knows it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a long time to see that dream come to pass. But don't give up. Because maybe that dream you've had is a lot bigger dream than what you're even thinking. Maybe you need more preparation time. Maybe you're not in a position yet to see that dream come to fruition. But don't give up. The second thing is, again, what Joseph said to his brothers. The thing that you think might be used for your harm just might be the thing God is going to use for the good. I mean, if we really believe Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord. That means the good, the bad, the ugly. What we perceive as being harmful, it all will work for God's good. You know, I love a great crescendo at the end of a story. I love that climax. But I really felt when I was studying that God said, you know what, Crystal, you've been on enough roller coaster rides lately. You've had enough emotion, and I'm an emotional person, anybody that knows me. And I think God is just wanting to softly, tenderly, in a still, small voice, say, trust me. Because your chapter 41 is about ready to happen. Do you remember when things started turning around for Joseph? Chapter 41, when he stood before Pharaoh. Everything started changing in chapter 41. And I think that's what God's telling us. You're about ready to flip from one chapter in your life to another. And guess what? It's chapter 41. You're, you're reading through, and you're about to turn that page, and guess what? It's chapter 41. So I think God is telling us today, 
Maybe it's something individually you're going through. Chapter 41. Maybe it's something your family is going through. And it's been tough. And it's not been fair. And you really wish you didn't have to go through it. Chapter 41. I even feel for our church. I feel for our church, the Lord is saying. Go ahead, flip the next chapter, because guess what? It's 41. It's 41. But are we ready for it? Let's all stand together. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you because no matter what page we turn to in your word, you have a message for us. In 2021, whatever we're going through, <laughs> you're with us. Lord, thank you for always being with us, even when we don't feel that you're with us. You're with us. Just like you were with Joseph Potiphar's house in the prison as he was doing the plans, the organization, the saving of Egypt. You were with him and you're always with us. So Lord, I just ask that you would take your word that you've planted in our hearts today. Help us to grow. Help us to trust in you. Help us to hang on to that promise that chapter 41 is the next page. It's the next chapter. Lord, we're gonna stand on your promise. We're going to stand that all things work together for your good. If we understand it or not, it's all for your good because your word tells us so. So I'm praying over this people today, wherever they are in their life, whatever's going on, I'm just praying over them, Lord, that they would hang on to every promise that you have spoken to us. Give us peace. Give us determination. Don't let us give up. The dreams, the visions, the goals that you've put in our hearts, help us to work hard. Keep it up. Keep before you. Because chapter 41 is on the way. God, we've got to be prepared. You have called this church to be a light to this community. God, help us to be prepared. These times that we're going through right now, use every single one, every single experience to help us be prepared for the mission that you've called us to. We'll be sure to give you praise and glory. And it's all in Jesus' name we pray.